thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning, church. After a week off from preaching, I am so glad to be uh, back with you. If I'm honest, I've really wrestled with where to go in Scripture next. As you know, we finished James a few weeks ago, and then we took a couple of weeks to look at the book of Psalms. And then the last couple of weeks, we've just really been kind of pausing and responding to this cultural moment. And so given everything that's happened in 2020, uh, given where we are as a church, and then not really knowing what the remainder of 2020 looks like, I just really wrestled through where to go. It's not because Scripture is not relevant. It's because it is so relevant. And there were so many places that I really just wanted us to jump into as a church. For those who are wondering, my top three choices were 1 Peter, the Beatitudes, and the book of Philippians. Uh, In case your favorite top choice did not get chosen, my goal is that we'll go through all of those sometime, most likely in the next year, and so just hang with us. But for the next several weeks, uh, really throughout the summer, we're going to look at the book of Philippians. And in Philippians, we're calling this series Priorities. What comes first in your life? Now, Philippians, if you're familiar with the book, it's frequently referred to as Paul's joyful letter. And it was written to help Christians deal with division and disunity. So if if you've ever experienced division and disunity as a Christ follower or within your church body, this book was written to you. It was written to us. And much of this division and disunity is, um, is caused by their own carnality and their personality differences. And Paul comes in and he shows them that in this letter, he says, above all, we divide when we don't share the same spiritual priorities. When somehow we've, we've gotten things out of the priority, uh, prioritizing things the way that they should be as Christ followers. Now, Philippians was written with a view toward Christians who want to get serious about their relationship with God and who are prepared to put the gospel above all. And so that is my, my, my hope and prayer for you, is that you want to get serious about your relationship with God and that you want to put the gospel above all things. Now, the Philippian church, it was, it was kind of plagued with different sects and cliques that formed. And what we find is that they find themselves where they're unable to get along. And so they, it's somewhat, almost like they took security in realizing that we don't really have to prioritize unity as being really all that important. Because I've got my, my two or three or kind of my, my group over here and, and we're okay out on, on this issue. And then we got another group who says we're okay out here on this priority and this issue. And Paul says, no, we need to come in and be unified. Too many churches today, here we are in 2020, and they become known for something else besides the gospel. Their loyalty loyalty ends up being somewhere else. One example that we're going to hear much of this year, because we are uh, six months, really less than six months from the actual election itself, and you're going to hear a lot of people saying that their loyalty is to God and country. And we frequently will place a temporal value on an eternal thing, an eternal value on something that is temporary. I'm not saying it's bad to have loyalty to one's country, so to please don't mishear me when I say that. But in our case, think about the United States of America. It is something that is temporary, whereas the things of God are eternal. But many of us will mistakenly put them on the same level, or sometimes we'll even uh, prioritize our country over our spiritual life and our relationship with God. And that is not how things are meant to be. Now, Paul is not calling on us to be perfect Christians. He couldn't do that because there is no such thing. But he is calling on us as Christ followers, as the people of God, have an undivided loyalty in our priorities. And so Greek scholar Dave Black says this, 
about this book. He says, the real message of Philippians is not about joy. It's about priorities, about what comes first and foremost in our lives. The only thing that matters, Paul says, he'll say this in verse 27 of chapter 1, which we won't cover today. But he says, is the only thing that matters is that you live together as good citizens of heaven in a way that the gospel of Christ requires. So that is what I want you to start thinking about over these next several weeks. And hopefully we will answer this as a community of faith. I want you to ask yourself this. What am I living for? What is it in my life that I am prioritizing? Broadly speaking, as Americans, I don't know if we really like to actually think through the answer to those questions. But if nothing else comes out of 2020, which it is still hard to believe we're halfway through. I still feel like we're in the middle of March and here we are in the middle of June. But if nothing else comes out of the rest of this year, hopefully it's that you're asking yourself those questions. I, th- I think the, the weirdness with COVID and all of that has kind of given us a chance to uh, hit pause and then maybe even reset. Say, what is that I'm prioritizing? Do I need to actually go and do these things that I was no longer allowed to do for a few months? And, and you're making those adjustments. And then we found ourselves at a, a, a time and a place in history, even as a church, we really have to stop and ask ourselves these questions. Things like, why, why does the church exist? Why does our church exist? And, and where are we going as a church? And so I want us to collectively to answer those questions. And so, yes, there's one side of this where it's individually. I want you to answer those questions. But I think as a church body, I want us to come together as Paul would want us to unify and also to answer those questions. The book of Philippians, it gives us the opportunity to answer those questions on on an individual basis and as a corporate body. Of course, we're not going to answer all of those completely today. This is to helpfully start for you to start generating those thoughts in your head and and then us coming together in our small groups and, and developing those answers. Paul wrote to the members of the Philippian church to thank them for their support and their prayers and to give an update on his welfare and that of Aphroditus, Timothy, and himself. But it's not just a letter of an update and thanks. This isn't just your, your MailChimp newsletter that you receive from your friends. Paul wants to encourage their faith, and he wants to encourage their growth, and we will see a number of themes emerge throughout this series. The first thing we're going to see is this, he's going to spur them on to progress in their Christian faith. He really wants them to get serious about it, and he really wants to see them grow in it. The second thing that we will see emerge is he's going to warn those who proclaim another gospel. And we, we see that throughout the different letters of Paul, that, that people come in and they start prioritizing a different message. It's not the gospel at all. We're also going to see him come in and he's going to encourage their unity and he's going to confront their lack of unity. So I think that was going to be really big for us as a church. He's going to come in, he's going to call them to joy and thankfulness and peace. And then he's going to come and he's going to plead with them to keep their eyes on Christ and the hope of heaven. I tell you, 2020 has been a wild year. And so I think Paul would come to us and he'd plead with us. He'd say, Keep your eyes on Christ in this cultural moment and keep the hope of heaven alive. And so here we are this morning. I really just want to kind of do a, a high level view, just kind of set up the background of the book of Philippians. And then in the preceding weeks, we'll get further into the text. We have about 2000 years ago, the apostle Paul, he walked into a city much like our own city. The city was called Philippi. And while it wasn't the largest city, it was an extremely influential city. The church at Philippi holds a, a, a huge significance for Paul because this is actually the first church that he founded in Europe. Philippi was much like Portland. It was a major metropolitan area. It was a hub for major trade. And it was a city full of industry and intelligentsia, agriculturists and artists, a city much like the one that we find ourselves in today. And so it made sense that the apostle Paul would go and plant a church 
in Philippi. It was a very influential place, and we commonly saw him going to these cities of influence because he knew that it would influence not only that city but the surrounding area. It's for many of these same reasons that we came here to Portland. We came to a, a, a major city that is very influential in the Pacific Northwest and even the entire West Coast, and we say, you know what? This is a spot that we believe God would want us to plant a church. The church at Philippi was a church much like our own church. It was a church plant just like we're a church plant. We started in a living room with nothing, and the church at Philippi also started in a home in the early 50s of the first century. And then this letter was written to them in the late 50s. The church at Philippi was a diverse church. Now, typically when we think of diversity, we only think in terms of the ethnic diversity. While obviously that's a very huge part of it, there's also other types of diversity which I believe we reflect. We have a diversity of ages. We have a diversity of backgrounds. We have a diversity of socioeconomic levels. We have different cultures and different races. Now, do I think that we've hit the mark when it comes to diversity? I mean, I know that the, the, the idea of even race and diversity has been really a, a big conversation happening around our nation recently. So I, do I think we've hit the mark and that we'd say, look, we've got it, thumbs up? Absolutely not. But I do think we are on the trajectory to do that. And I do want us to continue to prioritize this. I think about last week, even what our, our brother Ricardo came in and, and the message he delivered to us, and even in the Skype call or Zoom call rather that we had with him, and then we just talked about the side that this is to be an ongoing daily conversation, not just a one-time message. And then we see that the church at Philippi was a maturing church. Much like our church, we are young, and here's the reality. We don't have much figured out. And so if you came looking for a church that had everything figured out and had all the answers, sorry, we're probably not that church. I can point you into some others that, that might claim that, but I don't know that you're going to find it there either. And, and just like the church of Philippi, we are a church that is, that is having to mature. Think about maturity. When you, when you, when you mature and you, and you grow up, um, which my wife would say, we met at 18 and 34 now. She said, I really haven't matured a whole lot since we met. And so, but, but as you're maturing, you have to go through some really painful processes, and then you have to go through some really good processes. Think about as a church, when you first start out, it's new, it's exciting, everything is, is shiny. And, and people say, you know what, I want to join that. I want to jump in. I want to be part of that. But what happens when the shine starts to wear off? What happens when things aren't all of a sudden all, all new? What happens when you're not the new kid on the block and all of a sudden you see another, another church plant move into the city? Then all of a sudden it's like, you know what, we're starting to get where things are a little bit tough. We're actually having to go through some really hard conversations and really hard things as a church. So, so then what are we going to do? This is the work of maturing. This is the work of, of, of what Paul's calling them to unity and to unify and to stay together. And, and here's where my honest assessment is. This is where we are as a church. We are in the process of learning of what is to go from crawling to walking. And, and so right about how, however long we've been here, some of us have been here longer than others, have been part of the churches longer than others, but we are in this stage where we're crawling. I don't think we're quite walking yet. And, and, and having three kids, so I've watched them go through those stages it, it takes them a process. It takes them time to get there. So that's where we are as a church. And so what, I would, what I'd would say to you this morning is stick with us. We don't have things figured out. We follow and worship the one who does. And that we are a young church who's going from crawling to walking. Paul had a long history with the Philippian church. And it actually goes all the way back to the book of Acts. And so we're actually going to look at Acts 16 briefly. Don't worry, I'm not going to go really deep into these. I'm just going to read the verses and give you a couple bullet points on each one. But I want to do this to really set up the uh, book of Philippians as well. And it's in Acts 16, what we will see is the conversion of Lydia, who was a wealthy Asian. Her, we see her whole family converted. We see a demon-possessed girl who's uh, an oppressed Greek and the Philippian jailer, a middle-class Roman, 
are the first ones to come to know and follow Jesus. And so we'll look briefly at Acts 16, and then we'll look at Philippians as well. And so Acts 16, verse 11, and I'll go ahead and start reading that for us. It says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed to there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatra, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So we'll pause there. So what we see here is Lydia is a very wealthy businesswoman who's come to believe that there is one God. Now she's an intellect, and by all indications, she is a seeker. So some of you out there this morning, you might be a seeker, or, or some of your family members are watching with you, or that you hope are watching, maybe they're seekers. And what we see do is Paul comes in, he engages her intellect by reasoning with her, and through his impartation of knowledge, she becomes a believer and follower of Jesus. Now let's continue in verse 16. He says, we were going to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So here we have the second character. She stands in complete contrast to our first character in Lydia. She's a Greek and she's demon-possessed. And Paul coming in, not relying on his own power, but relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, he rebukes the demon and exercises this demon and that, that rules her and enslaves her and she is free. And so what we see is the gospel penetrates her heart as Paul engaged with her spiritually. And so we have these two characters. And then we're going to jump down to verse 24, and we're going to see our third character that, that starts the church at Philippi. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet into, in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set foot and set food rather before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And so we see the, the Philippian jailer falls right into the middle between Lydia and, and, the, and the little girl as a middle-class worker. And Paul comes in, he shows him a better identity. He says the jailer's identity was wrapped up in his profession, that he was a jailer. And Paul says, here's a better identity. 
I can give you a more fulfilling reality and a greater duty that transcends your work of being a jailer. And so we see Paul comes in, he engages the jailer through a living witness to a miracle. I love the diversity of the cast that we see of these three and how they were transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's part of the reason I want us to, to look at the backstory of the church at Philippi. And this is how the, the, the Philippian church was started. What we see here is we start out with a Jewish fashionista businesswoman, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a blue-collar ex-GI duty-bound to the Roman Empire. How's that for your church planting team? How's that for your core team to say, we're going to get these three individuals together, and we're going to go start this church? I've, I've never seen that in a church planter's perspective, but here we have it in the book of Acts as the church at Philippi gets started. And so as a church plant, I believe we actually have a lot to learn from this church planting story. What we see is it involves suffering for this team, and it will likely involve suffering for us. In fact, I would say it has involved suffering for us, but buckle up, it's going to continue to involve suffering. But what I find really encouraging, as we've been talking about race the last several weeks, is that right here at this church, we see that all races and classes can be saved. And that people in all types of spiritual conditions can be saved. There's not limitations on the gospel. There's not limitations on the power of what it can do. And that transcends everything that we would put up as barriers as man. And we even see here that some will be influenced by dialogue and teaching. And so you probably have those people in your life. That's what it's going to take. They're going to want to dialogue with you. And they're going to hear some, some truth told. Some will be won over by various forms of arguments and apologetics. They're really going to want you to break it down and, and converse with them. Some will be moved by deeds of, acts, uh, of, deeds of mercy. They're going to see uh, the things that you're doing and caring for the community and, and, and feeding the homeless and clothing the homeless and those types of things. Some will be attracted to Christians displaying examples of love. How it is that we love others? How it is that we love one another? But here's the thing they all have in common. Every single person will be saved the exact same way by responding to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now for Paul, he holds this church very, very dearly. He holds these people very, very close to his heart. And he returned to Philippi at least twice. But mutual care and communication between the Apostle Paul and the Philippian church seems to have been a regular, ongoing thing. And so Paul is actually writing this letter to them from, from Rome while he is in prison. It's roughly AD 62. And he writes to thank the members of the Philippian church for their care for him and the support of his ministry. Now, I've never been in prison, and I'm not comparing myself to the Apostle Paul, but once a month I'll write a MailChimp update to the supporters uh, and partners of the gospel here in Portland. And so if you're one of those who are tuning in this morning, we thank you for that, for your ongoing partnership with us and the gospel work that God has called us to here. And he writes to assure them that even though I'm in prison, yet again, I'm still in good spirits. I still have my faith in Jesus Christ, and the gospel is still spreading, even as I am in the midst of a prison cell. And his purpose goes even further in writing. He's, he's above all concerned with their continued growth and progress of their faith. He doesn't want them to be stifled by this. He doesn't want them to stop and say, you know what? Well, we have salvation. We have Jesus, so we're good to go. He says, no, I want you to continue to growing in that. Once again, we're kind of looking at this idea of priorities. What is our priorities? And when compared to the church at Corinth and the church at Galatia, Philippians has it together, relatively speaking, when you look at those two churches. But Paul wants to make sure this congregation doesn't sit back, that they just hit neutral or cruise control because the same things can happen to them. The same exact things that plague those other churches that he wrote to can come and plague this church. And the same things that we see plague those churches in the New Testament can come in and plague our church. And so we, he, he's saying, look, look, guys, don't sit back and just relax here. 
you, you've got to stay active. You've got to stay aware. You've got to come together and unify around these things and continue to progress toward the gospel. The surrounding culture is too perilous and the gospel is too glorious for them to be content with the past achievements. I think sometimes our relationship with, with God and, and then even as a, a church body, we can kind of look back on things that happened a year ago or two years ago or three years ago and kind of pat ourselves on the back. So remember when we did that event? Man, that was really, really cool. Remember that worship night? We had like 50 people there and we're just content in that. And Paul's saying, no, those are good things. Yes, celebrate them. Kind of look at the highlight reel. But now you've got to continue on as a church. And so Paul says, Follow my example. This comes from chapter 3, verse 14. He says, By pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul's going to say, Come and follow me in my example. And so by the way of introduction, you're thinking, well, you just, you just did your introduction. But as a way of introduction to the book, we're just going to look at the first two verses this morning. So um, go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians now. We're going to be in chapter 1, and we'll just look at those first two verses. So Philippians 1. This is Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins Philippians like he does much of his other letters. He gives a quick salutation, he gives an expression of thankfulness, and then he gives a prayer for the people. And Paul here starts out by celebrating God's genuine work of grace in the Philippians. And he's warmly thanking them for their partnership in the gospel. And he says, I'm praying for your future work and growth of faith. And we see this three-pole repetition of the name of Jesus. It says Christ Jesus in these first two verses, Christ Jesus, and then the Lord Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's really doing is presenting this central theme that's going to appear throughout this entire letter. And he's uniting everything around the person of Jesus. Christ. And he's saying, when your priorities get out of balance one way or the other, you got to get back to the center of Christ. Now, reality is when you have a church, you're going to have people follow one side or the other of many, many issues of politics, of policies, how we vote, even some of the, the current conversations that we're having in, in this, this cultural moment with the pandemic and then even race. There, there's areas where you're going to fall in different areas, different sides. And you're going to think, well, this is the better way to do it, and this is the better way to do it. And Paul's saying, that's fine, but the way that we get centered back is following Jesus and keeping our eyes on Christ and his message of the gospel. And so we see this idea of grace. It says, grace is the free, spontaneous, unmerited love of God to sinful humanity. And it's making its appearance in history and reaching its consummate expression, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And so may we never forget that. And the same grace that Christ used with us, may we use that grace with one another. It talks about peace. Peace is the fruit of such a gracious activity and experience of sinners. And its main characteristic is reconciliation to God through Christ. And so may we experience and, and, and also extend grace with one another. And may we experience and extend peace in our community. And Paul considered the position that he and Timothy have as servants of Christ Jesus to be a high privilege. Now, typically, you think about being, being a servant. Or you can think about being a server. I used to work at restaurants for a number of years. You think, man, that's, I'm not necessarily wanting to do that. I want to move up and be the manager. I want to move up and be the boss of the restaurant, not necessarily the, the server. But they consider being a servant of Jesus of the highest privilege. So it's a privilege to have the same calling that Jesus himself took. Jesus who emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. And so when you think about Christianity and, and how it is that we interact with our, the others within our church and neighbors, all those things, it's really taking on the posture of a servant. I was out prayer walking earlier this week uh, with a number of others, and I saw this church uh, near Legacy Emanuel Hospital. And it had the name of the pastor, uh, 
pastor, I don't remember his last name, but then it said chief servant. I thought, I, I like that. He's not kind of come in with his title. He's saying that I'm the chief servant amongst the community. And, and, and so I love for us as, as East Bridge and Sojourn to, to model that, to posture that, to say, you know what? I'm going to come in and, and serve you as we serve alongside of one another. And as believers, I believe that when we freely and joyfully accept our positions of servants in Christ, that it's through that that we'll be united together and effective in our service and our witness to the community around us. Now, I want us to see three things this morning, and then we'll be finished in these first two verses. The first thing is that God's grace is displayed in the life of Paul and Timothy. Now, think about Paul. Paul was a Jew who hated Christians, but then he had an encounter and he met Jesus. He didn't deserve grace. He didn't deserve to, to receive the calling from God on his life, but that's exactly what he received. And we, we'll see him actually explain his own conversion in chapter 3 of this book. And then we have Timothy. Timothy who had a Jewish mother and a Greek father, and he also became a Christian by the grace of God. He heard the gospel and he believed. And these two together have taken on this posture of humility. And they say, I want to exemplify the humility to the church at Philippi and then even to the church at Portland. So what about you this morning? What's your story? Are you a Christian? Has God's message of grace, has it penetrated your heart? Because it's available to you this morning, just like it was available to Paul and to Timothy and to Lydia and the slave girl and to the jailer. It's available to you this morning if you have not embraced that message. Or maybe you found yourself in a place where you've forgotten that message and you need to be reminded of it. Let us remind you of that message again today. The second thing that we see is that grace is displayed in the receivers of the letter, the Philippians. Paul calls them saints. Not because of something special they did, not because they were better than the church at Galatia or they were better than the church at Corinth, but because their positions had changed from sinner to saint by placing their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, a cousin who's my age, he's actually a Catholic priest, so you can imagine we have some interesting conversations. But anytime he talks about saints and I talk about saints, we're talking about two very different things oftentimes. And so I always like to kind of joke with him and say, you know, I'm also a saint. You <laughs> know that you're a saint. So if you're in Christ Jesus, you have gone from sinner to saint, and that is your identity as a beloved child of God. It also says that, that some of these have gone on to become overseers and deacons. Now, I'm not really sure why he mentions that here. Truthfully, as I've done my study, it doesn't seem like many people come to a consensus on why has he dropped that some of them have become overseers and deacons. But this is a good reminder for two of the offices that we see in the church as a church matures. Overseers being those who shepherd the flock by knowing, feeding, and leading through word and prayer. Deacons being those who serve the church and help others serve. And so this is one of those areas, and you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, do we, do we have deacons? Actually, right now, we don't have deacons. Uh, do we have overseers? Uh, currently, have one overseer, and he's the one talking to you right now. And so do we have overseers? Do we have deacons? That's something that we're maturing in. That's something we're going from crawling to walking as we get to that place. And then the third thing is that grace is displayed in this, this Trinitarian blessing. We have to remind the grace and peace that, that they experienced here and that he's writing to the church at Philippi comes from our, our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as our hearts and as their hearts were penetrated and changed. And by the grace of God, we join Paul and Timothy as servants of Christ Jesus and as God's saints. And so when Paul writes this book, when he writes this letter to the Philippians, he has people in mind, specific people. He has Lydia in mind. He has the slave girl in mind. He has the jailer in mind. These are people that he is calling to mind as he, as he is writing from prison. People who are fond to his heart. At the time of writing, this has been 10 to 15 years since this church was started. And so I can imagine how the Apostle Paul feels. 
He's reflecting on his time with them, and he's thinking, what is Lydia doing now? How has she used her place of, of prestige and, and wealth to benefit the community and, and to extend the mission of God? He's got to think about the, the, the little girl who was demon-possessed and say, has she gone on to get married? Does she have children now? Is she a godly woman leading her family and her, her, her kids? you got to think about the jailer. What, what is it that he has gone on? Is he, is he still in that career? Is he retired at this point? And how is it that he has lived out his relationship with Jesus as a top priority? And what we see is that Paul has adopted the posture of the gospel as the priority. And before you think that means that other issues are ignored, it doesn't mean that. And so I know even in this moment when you think about the, the, the idea of the gospel above all, someone would say something like, well, does that mean that race doesn't matter? No, that's not what that means at all. We would say that no, race does matter. And the reason we looked at things the last couple of weeks specifically is because of the gospel. It's the gospel that compels us to look at those things because they are important. And the gospel cannot be stopped by socioeconomic, racial, or religious walls. That should cause us to celebrate. They can't be stopped by those things. The enemy would love to use that, and he tries you, but it can't be stopped by those things. Let me say it again. The gospel cannot be stopped by socioeconomic, racial, or religious walls. The gospel, as Paul will show us, it defies race, it defies class, and it defies status. Whew, that should cause us to celebrate. There's been a lot of talk about race the last several weeks in our country. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's easier to like with people who are similar to us. It's easier to do life with people who look like us and who vote like us, who, who have the same level of income as us. And so we tend to surround ourselves with people like that, if, if we're completely honest. That's just what most of us do. This is our natural tendency. But here's the thing. And I think this is actually really good news for us as a church. And I know this is good news for the world that's around us, who in this moment might actually be watching how we're responding the gospel is not natural. And so even though that might be our natural tendency as fallen man, the gospel is not natural. And just as we see how the Philippian church started, the gospel creates a whole new way of doing life and a whole new community that apart from it would have never been formed. And this church is to be our priority. And so I'm excited about jumping into this book with you over the next several weeks. I'm praying that God will use it in our life as we answer the question, what is our priority? And as we hopefully unify as the body of Christ. And as we continue on pressing towards the goal of living out the gospel. Pray with me, church. God, I want to thank you for another morning that we can come together, even if it is online. And God, that as your church, we can study your word. God, your word that is always so timely for us. God, you know that I wrestled in my spirit on where it is for us to jump in as a church. But God, we believe in your faithfulness and your providence, your sovereignty, God, that Philippians is where you want us to be. And so we want to give you this book and this study of the next several weeks and just ask that you would use it or to prioritize our own life, to prioritize what it is that, that matters to us most and how it is that everything else kind of comes in underneath that. And God, that in addition to that, you would unify us as the body. God knows that there's been things in 2020 that can divide us and things that have divided us. But God, I pray that for our church, you would unify us. Now, all those other things come secondary. But God, that we keep our eyes, our priority, on the thing that matters the most and not let that get in the way of our love for you and our love for one another. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. 
We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.